or good evening. Wherever you are today, thank you for joining us as we begin this journey together, discovering how to walk the ancient path in the 21st century. I'd like to begin with a word from St. Luke of Simferpol. People are created with free will. They can choose their own path in life as they like, either the path of truth and suffering for the truth, the path of mercy, the path of love, or the path of rejecting all truth and serving their lusts and passions, they can choose the path of sin. God does not force anyone to choose this or that path, for he gave us free will. And precisely because we were created with free will, Christ does not want to influence us by coercion, to influence us in the way that worldly powers do. He as God could by heavy punishments force all people to obey him, could force everyone to leave the path of evil and unrighteousness, could destroy even the devil himself, but he does not want to force us. He seeks free, loving submission to himself. He seeks in the hearts of men faith in him and love for him. If he finds faith and love, then by his divine grace he saves such a person. So as we begin this journey together on the internet, I'm joined today with Dr. Nicholas Newman of our cathedral here in Charleston for a conversation on how we confront the challenges of the internet in our lives as Orthodox Christians. Dr. Newman, welcome to Walking the Ancient Path. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. Yeah, so as we talk about the internet, um, it's really important to differentiate the spaces we're talking about because the internet sort of features... Uh, all sorts of different facets of life, good and bad. Uh, so uh, clearly today we're not talking about the explicitly bad parts of the internet, the things that are just overtly sinful. Uh, we're talking about the things that are sort of innocuous, like, um, oh, I'm on Facebook, and when I scroll through my Facebook feed, I see photos of my family and photos of my friends and then I see quotes from from scripture and I see quotes from the fathers but then maybe I also see uh, posts from political people uh, posts from internet personalities who have a political or otherwise social end that they want to enforce um, so we're talking about maybe the more innocuous parts of the internet clearly there's bad parts of the internet, and we're not going to try to say that uh, there's good ways to go about handling bad parts of the internet. Uh, but I want to bring our attention to uh, something that Elder Ephrem, who is the abbot of Vatopedi Monastery on Mount Athos, uh, he said this in 2015 at the International Conference on Digital Media and Orthodox Pastoral Care in Athens. Uh, Elder Ephrem saw that the internet has a unique capability uh, for Christian preaching uh, and something that's kind of unique in the history of the church. He spoke on the importance of being vigilant in our use of the internet and he said, the internet is a modern tool that promotes globalization. Those who would like to spread their ideas for global history, global economics, a global state, and a global leader know how to make use of the internet. And indeed, they use it at a high level. Why should not we, the Orthodox, use this instrument for promoting the global role of Orthodoxy? Why should we not use it for uniting the Orthodox and its mission in the known world? The proper use of the internet depends upon the user. Of course, the internet cannot replace living contact. In the same way, it is essential to have communication with other brethren. 
in order to experience love and to participate in all the mysteries of the church. Of course, there are also cases in which excessive use of the internet, even for good and spiritual purposes, can create dependence, resulting in antisocial behavior and a detrimental effect on one's personhood. Thus, the internet can have negative results. Instead of leading the user closer to Christ, it can, on the contrary, lead him away from God. Therefore, we bear the great responsibility of promoting and sharing the Word of God using the most creative, useful, and modern methods. But we should also inform our flock about how to use the internet profitably, emphasizing all the negative effects that, be, that can be caused by the misuse of this technology. So, Nick, when we talk about social media, for example, uh, maybe can you tell us a little bit about your own personal experiences with how you use social media as an Orthodox Christian? Most of my internet use uh, is has has to do with my sort of educational um, background. So uh, I spend many years as a teacher in, in the public school and in private schools, and um, so that's where most of my experience with the internet is from. As for social media, I mean, I have a Facebook account, but that's that's it. I'm relatively, I'm kind of a Luddite in many ways. <laughs> um, but I can certainly s- understand where um, Elder Ephraim is coming from here in this, in in his discussion of using the internet as sort of a, a means to promote orthodoxy. I mean, historically, in in orthodox countries in sort of back villages bishop the bishop would come by at one point and he would find a, a kid who would stand by the chanter stand and say okay you're going to be the next priest in this village mm-hmm. and that he wouldn't get any any sort of education really in theology or, or whatever he would you'd be ordained and so you'd have these traveling um traveling preachers the hierokuriques in, in greece that would then go around and they would do the preaching at the different churches. But that means that many of these little village, village churches didn't have preachers for months at a time. Mm. That's something that can be fixed, right, with, with the Internet. With, I mean, because now everyone, everyone has a phone. Everyone has access somehow to the Internet. And so you have this ability to reach people with theological information that Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to reach. Yeah. I mean, personally, uh, I used to be very heavily on the Internet. Uh, I had all sorts of social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I had a Twitter and, you know, all the different things. And I remember, fancy. I think it was in, yeah, fancy. <laughs> in, in 2018, I think it was, uh, I just kind of became... Uh, really disillusioned with how uh, I guess I sort of embraced this idea that this was the new way of communicating it was the new way of being and that this was just going to be great for humanity in some way Um, and I kind of was coming to the realization that social media actually stripped us from a lot of the peace that we kind of just are supposed to naturally experience as humans Um, and I wanted to kind of just do a little experiment for myself about whether or not removing myself from social media would help me kind of regain a sense of peace in my life. Uh, And it very much did help. Uh, It it was very 
destructive to a lot of the the very uh, fundamental parts of social communication. Um, not so much like uh, you know, some people will say, "Oh, soon people won't be able to look each other in the eyes; they'll just look each other in the phones and talk to each other." And you know, maybe that reality could be around the corner. Um, but I think, on the whole, it made social communications much less intimate uh, because. You know, for example, if somebody had a child, maybe I'd already seen this on the internet, but if I had no idea that somebody had a child and somebody, you know, that I went to, I, or I ran into them somewhere, uh, then, you know, I could learn about everything that's been happening in their life. It made my social interactions in person uh, much more deep and complex. I think it, it definitely kind of keeps everyone at arm's length. Yeah. Kind of literally as well as you're on the phone. Yeah. Um, and certainly removes that more intimate dialogue with people and, and puts it in sort of the this ethereal sphere of, of the Internet. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that, that could be detrimental, too, in, in, in the case of the church when we're thinking about being Orthodox Christians on the Internet, because where is our relationship supposed to be? We're supposed to have a relationship with our spiritual father, usually our our parish priest. But if we're being inundated with all this information from different sort of internet personalities in orthodoxy, then that kind of goes around sort of the, the traditional setup of a, of a parish a little yeah. bit. See, one of the interesting things that I see is a lot of um, the people who are engaging in the Internet Orthodox world are very fresh to the faith, and for whatever reason, they can be very impressionable. Um, and that's something that we have to keep in mind, because um, the things that we post on the Internet, myself included, you know, here at the cathedral, the things that we're posting, we have to be very mindful about the fact that anyone can hear these things. Uh, so, for example... Uh, historically, if I wanted to have a rigorous theological debate, I would probably have to take myself to, you know, some major city center in a major orthodox place, uh, such as Athens or Thessalonica, uh, and go into these places, uh, you could find people and communities where you could engage in these theological debates. Uh, but now the ability for us to just take out our phone open up some page online, frantically thinking to ourselves, ooh, I bet you somebody posted something really bad today. And, and you know, having this mindset of engaging in this way online, it's very foreign. It's very new. Uh, and it's hard to kind of wrap our heads around. So I guess maybe, Nick, could you maybe give me a little bit of context here historically? How, how are internet debacles different from sort of theological debacles that happen in person. Not to mention, you know, the, the ecumenical councils and St. Nicholas with Arius and, you know, the sort of more physical altercations. Well, it's harder to punch someone over the over the internet. It is much harder to, <laughs> to physically harm someone over the internet. But, well, I, I think things, I think the big biggest difference is that things are much faster in the, the sort of the internet age where in historically in antiquity, if you were to have a theological altercation um, in a city, probably Alexandria, um, this would remain relatively localized 
for for quite some time. Um, and then eventually, I mean, eventually things would spread. Arianism, for example, spread particularly quickly. Mm-hmm. But um, today, these things don't stay localized very much. And if there is an, an altercation, if there is a problem, this becomes very widespread and known very quickly throughout the whole world. So there's less time for people to formulate a response ultimately to to theological things. And I think you see this more, less in the Orthodox world than you think you see them in, for example, the Protestant world, mm-hmm. where a new theological fad will take off and just people just run with it and and yeah. it becomes incredibly popular very quickly and then the next one will come along and become very popular very quickly um, well then we also get kind of into this uh, conversation about scholasticism and how this um, the sort of worldly environment of universities and things like that have brought in uh, the these new conversations even into the orthodox world um, but bef- like historically speaking uh, even in the Protestant world, it was very common for you know a prominent uh, Protestant preacher or even professor to come around with certain theological ideas and begin promulgating them to lots of students uh, and, and getting that word out there. So the internet just kind of um, puts that into overdrive. It's like the printing press on steroids. Yeah, I mean, people enjoy arguing about things. Um I mean, Gregory of Nyssa complains about that. He's in Constantinople, and all he wants to do is buy a loaf of bread, and everyone is talking about whether or not Christ is actually God. Mm-hmm. And he kind of annoys him. But this this becomes, like you said, it, it goes into overdrive on the Internet because it's not just you arguing, sitting in a coffee shop, arguing with one other person. It's you being able to put your opinion about something everywhere. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, you know, for somebody, like, for, for example, like these Facebook arguments that happen, mm-hmm. uh, if somebody is not even remotely a Christian, let's say they're a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever they might be, maybe they have no religion at all, uh, that person sees that and they say, okay, so this is what Christianity is, you know, this is this is what these people are up to. Uh, so we're also in the internet, It's we're also kind of putting ourselves out there. We're saying, you know, we're Orthodox Christians we're representatives of this ancient Christian tradition, um, and we have to we have to be good shepherds and stewards of that. Absolutely, because it can, if if used correctly, it can be a tool for great outreach to to the community. I mean, orthodoxy is kind of always been called the America's best kept secret, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the internet's a great vehicle to make it no longer actually a secret, but we don't necessarily want to no longer be a secret because everyone sees us arguing with each other about things, <laughs> right? They want to see what are the amazing things that the church is doing, what are yeah. the, um, the the great pictures of a procession of the triumph of orthodoxy, for example, or thing, yeah. things of that nature. Absolutely. Um, and so just kind of building on what Elder Ephrem said, uh, Bishop uh, Pankrati of the Valam Monastery uh, said that uh, in that same year that... Um, that Elder Ephrem uh, spoke in Greece, uh, he said that he would stop using the internet entirely uh, 
And so let's hear uh, his his words in the context here of, you know, uh, an abbot of a monastery advising his monks. So this is obviously not clear advice for people in the world, uh, but let's just take this in context here. He says, all these smartphones, large screens, are a huge temptation, especially to young monks. I have often heard them say at confessionals that they have fallen again into the sin of using the internet. One novice even left Valam because he had been drawn by the internet and the common world had drawn him back. I even believe it's one of the biggest challenges to monks now. So we see here uh, Bishop Pankrati is basically saying that the internet takes monks who, you know, people who could be considered at the height of Christian faith. They really deeply want to devote their entire lives to, to the Christian experience. Even these people can be led astray and led away from that deep Christian living uh, just by exposure to these things, just by you know being exposed to the televisions and things like that. So in a way, uh, even, even with everything that Elder Ephraim said in consideration about how the internet can be you know a big billboard for the church, uh, we also have to consider how uh, the internet and computers and technology can also be a blight in our life um, and can also cause us a lot of trouble. Um, so maybe how do we balance these two approaches? How do we balance uh, an approach that says uh, the internet is the best opportunity for orthodoxy yet and an approach that says the internet causes us to sin and causes us uh, to fall away from Christ? Um, because, you know, on the one hand, there's a new form of ministry and on the other hand, there's a new form of tribulation. So, you know, there's two different visions of it. How do we deal with this? Do we, do we let people uh, have completely differing views? Does the church need to take a stand and say we're against the internet or we're in favor of the internet? Um, I guess, I, at least for myself, you know, giving my personal uh, background on how the internet was affecting me, uh, there's ways that we can still use the internet. I'm here podcasting on the internet. Uh, there's ways that we can use the internet uh, that don't negatively affect us. Uh, and there's also ways that we can use the internet that uh, abuse the the personhood of ourselves, that, that, that abuse our human image. Um, and, and that happens by us engaging in, in orthodox or even non-orthodox dialogue online uh, that, that's, that's disruptive and destructive, um, but also in sort of the, the more innocuous stuff because um, news is everywhere now. Uh, I remember uh, 10 years ago being on social media and there was never like a news section of social media. The idea that everyone should be informed and up to date about all of this stuff. No, the social media was about you know personal connections. So I guess in the Orthodox world, um, what are we going to do about the internet? What are we gonna do about people struggling with this? Well, I think we have to probably do something similar that, that is necessary in the world of education. So when I would tell my students, you have to do a research project on whatever, um, there are two ways that that can go. 
one, the student can sit down and type into Google whatever the, the topic is, and then go to the first page, and, um, and that's it, right? So in that case, what has the internet done? The internet has taken a, research, a researcher, a budding scholar, and created someone who is lazy, who doesn't check their sources, who doesn't do their what they need to do to create a proper um, a proper article, or that same student could can use the internet to find scholarly articles to look at the website of the the British Library and look at manuscripts to um, to find some incredible resources that wouldn't have been available 10 even 10 years ago um, to, to students so uh, the internet is very much a two-edged sword it can be a an incredible opportunity for a student to to have access to information that you would never have had access to before or that student can become incredibly lazy mm-hmm. and in many ways that's up to the student Right, I can stand up at the front of the classroom over and over again and say, don't use Wikipedia as your, as your main source. Mm-hmm. Right? Go and do your actual research. Find all this stuff that's, that's out there. Um, but it's up to the student to, to listen, to do it. And I think in many ways the same is true in, in the Orthodox life. I mean, uh, this... Uh, what... what um, Bishop Pankrati was saying is, is, is very true uh, that the smartphones is a huge temptation, a huge distraction it can be. Um, and I think particularly, I mean, monastics have a much more intense spiritual life than, than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so I think everything will affect them to a greater degree than uh, sort of the average layperson. Uh, but but it's a great distraction to the layperson as well. Just as, I mean, as the student is scrolling through their, the, um, the number of articles they can, they'll get distracted by the article on the adorable cat video when they're supposed to be looking at uh, information about um, ancient Greek drama or whatever, it was the, or whatever it was. Yeah, and you know, something else that kind of comes up in this discussion, even maybe not so much just about the internet, but just about technology in our lives as Orthodox Christians, is prayer apps. Um, I, on a personal level, I would never recommend anybody use a prayer app as their primary, like, prayer book. Um, Not because we shouldn't trust them or something like that, uh, but more so because just looking at that screen reminds us of everything else that's going on behind the app that we're currently looking at. Like in the same way where I could be, you know, for example, on the, the Facebook app or something and I'm, I'm scrolling through and then in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking, oh, I wonder what this person posted on Instagram. And, you know, it just takes me a second to go to that app. The same way when I'm praying there and I'm, I'm staring at this phone, it could also cause me to say, oh, I wonder what is happening with, with whatever it is. And then I leave my prayer because I was distracted. Um, so kind of having a book in front of you is good because even sometimes we get tempted to do that thing where we start flipping around like, how much longer do I have? <laughs> uh, even that is still 
a less bad distraction than being fully removed from the prayer that we were doing. I mean, it's the same thing when you're researching. Oh, I need to look at uh, Greek drama. Greek drama. I should probably check the weather, <laughs> right? You just you get distracted easily. It's uh, and in absolutely. the same way. I mean, I, I remember when I was doing research for my thesis. Uh, you can be distracted by things that seem like they're research, but they're actually not at all relevant to the thing you're researching. Mm, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's important for us to to keep in mind just the the normal human propensity to uh, want to distract ourselves from the thing that we're doing. Um, so how do we balance our lives on the internet? This is a question that I confronted myself because. I felt social media was negatively impacting my life, so I removed social media from my life. Um, I think something that we have to emphasize is the importance of doing all of this with your spiritual father. Um, not, First of all, not engaging in the orthodox world online without your spiritual father saying, yes, do this, this will be good, um, or... Um, not engaging in uh, your friendship circles online if they could be destructive to you. Um, the role of our spiritual father is really um, paramount when we're talking about the use of the internet because no one knows us better than our spiritual father. We will lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that, oh, well, I'm just going to use... Uh, this form of, of social media just for just for my uh, uh, just for my religious purposes. I'm just going to have you know orthodox things on there, uh, and that's fine and well. But um, all these AI algorithms and whatever they call it now, uh, basically you're forced to look at things that you haven't even signed up to look at. Um, and I can't say how many times uh, somebody will send me something. Uh, something orthodox that's on Twitter, for example. And then you start scrolling and you see the things that people are replying with. And they're saying things that are completely foreign to the orthodox church, but they're, they're representing themselves as orthodox Christians. When you go to their profiles, they say, you know, orthodox, uh, Greek orthodox, whatever they want to say. Um, and that can be really destructive because people look at this and they say, oh, okay, so the church believes this, or does the church believe that? And then their spiritual father uh, has uh, now somebody coming to them for confession who says, you know, I read this and that over there, and I, I don't know what's what. You know, that's really destructive. So we have to remember that these random people on the internet are random people on the internet. Uh, so I guess how... As an educator, Nick, you probably have experience talking to children about this. Who do we trust? Who can we trust on the internet? So what I would tell my students is that when you're doing your research, it's important to look at the website that you're on and look for accountability. So why is Wikipedia not a good source? Well, because anyone can edit it. That doesn't mean that the article you're reading isn't a good one. Eventually, I'm sure it's going to be excellent because everyone is collaborating and so forth. But you never know at what stage of that process each particular article is. Mm -hmm. And the other problem is it's anonymous. You don't. No one has taken 
accountability for that particular article. And that's that's an important thing. Someone has to say, okay, this is this is what it says, and I'm I'm going to be accountable for what it says. So that that's one thing. Um, anyone can write anything they want on the internet, and can claim any sort of authority that they want. Um, you can make your username. I have 17 PhDs in this, or whatever, <laughs> right? So it's it's important that you are going to be uh, as you're, that you're going to be looking at it as distrustingly as possible, I think, mm-hmm. and then only trust when you can verify. Yeah, and I think another thing that we have to consider as Orthodox Christians is um, the 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 sheer influence that the evil one has on our thoughts the internet is like a a compendium of thoughts um and if we allow ourselves to be um if we allow ourselves to be regularly influenced by one or two or three or however many it is different orthodox personalities if those personalities fall away from the truth we might then have an inclination to fall towards them because we've followed them with everything else, and why wouldn't we continue to follow them? Uh, so, you know, the, it brings to mind, like, for example, the Sister Vasa uh, sort of controversy that happened, I want to say, four or five years ago. Um, and then there's uh, the, the Abbott Trifon controversy and all of these different things. Uh, they they all serve to be very destructive to the lives of the faithful because they put deep trust in these figures and then for whatever reason or another their trust is broken and then they feel like you know it's it's catastrophic to their life in Christ so we have to separate um, you know I can go on the internet and listen to Abbot Trifon and collect a lot of beautiful information and then I can go on to Ancient Faith Radio and listen to some people and collect uh, some great information. And then I can go on to, you know, whatever else other Orthodox podcast it is. Um, it's all about having discernment. And if we don't have discernment, then we really shouldn't be engaging in these spaces. Uh, so, like, once again, it's very important for our spiritual father to know what we're doing on the Internet and to bless it. And we need to keep sort of Christ foremost in our mind. That when we're doing this, that we're not right. We're not of Paul. We're not of this person. We're not of that person. We're of Christ. Exactly. Um, that whatever someone says online isn't necessarily the gospel truth, right? Exactly. Um, but on, in in. And we should also remember that even even the the clergy that are online don't have the word saint in front of their names quite yet. But it is a space that the church needs to, I think, be aware of, be aware of, and be engaged in because this is where a lot of people spend a great deal of their time when they're working, when they're um, keeping in touch with family and so forth. It's a um, it's a space that is. Wonderful and dangerous, I think, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really difficult to to decide who to trust, and so that's why it's definitely, like you said, it's it's always important to go into it with a sort of just a generic distrust for for all of it before you can 
uh, kind of begin to to lean in and, and begin to sort of adopt or, or listen to the different ideas that are being uh, that are being expressed. Well, we thank you all for listening. Um, it's been a nice conversation. Thank you, Nick, for joining me here thank today. Thank you for having me. Uh, and. God willing, uh, we're going to be having this podcast bi-weekly, so you can join us uh, here. You can find it on Anchor FM, on Spotify, uh, and on our Cathedral website if you want to listen in there. Thank you for joining us on Walking the Ancient Path, and we look forward to sitting down together and conversing soon.